Welcome to Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William, featuring award-winning financial advisor and former host of the Sunday Money Show, News Talk 1010, Paul Baraka and his associate advisor, William Baraka. Creating and keeping wealth does not need to be complicated. Paul and William will cut through confusing and contradictory financial advice to give you the real facts to help you invest better and enjoy a worry-free retirement. The views and opinions expressed in this video may not necessarily reflect those of IPC Securities Corporation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Retirement Straight Talk. Uh, Paul, how are you doing today? I'm always doing great. I'm here in sunny South Florida, so it's always good. And uh, maybe I'll join you there one time. We'll do a podcast live from Florida. You're always welcome. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about an interesting topic that's kind of under-discussed, I think, and it's joint ownership, when to and when not to. Yeah, and th- this comes up a lot in our practice where uh, clients, retired clients, want to put maybe their principal residence or an investment account or something in joint with one or more of their children. And they want to do it because it, it just makes things easier. It can make things easier on death to transfer ownership. It can avoid probate costs, which is one and a half percent. That may seem like a small amount, but today when I mean, you have a piece of property that's easily worth a million dollars in Toronto, well, you know, that's $15,000. Not big, but not small. It also results in the property being transferred very, very quickly. So that's why we do it. So there's a few types of ownership structures. Yes. And the first we'll go over today is tenancy in common. And that's, for example, Paul, like if me and you owned a property together, but we don't own it equally. So it would mean like I own 30% and you own the remaining 70% of the property. Yes. Yes. So then say if I were to die, then different this is different than joint tenancy with right of survivorship, which we'll go over later. If I die, then the, my 30% of the property goes into my estate and then exactly. it goes through the probate process. It's subject to all the probate fees you spoke about earlier. And then, then I'll be taxed on that amount as well. That's correct. So that's that's often used if you have, let's say, a partnership. You and a friend own a property or a business relationship, something of this. That's where that is used. Now, in our situation, what we find with our clients is that's not used that often. People use joint tenancy. Yeah, and joint tenancy, that's, that's typically best for couples. And there's three main different types of joint tenancy. Yes. And the first being true joint tenancy, which means like, so say in this instance, Paul, me and you, we own the same property, but this property, we own it joint tenancy instead of tenants in common. And what that means is we both, so in the previous example, I only own 30%, you own the other 70% of the property. Under true joint tenancy, we both essentially own 100% of the property. We both have a legal and beneficial ownership in it. To the entire property. That's, that's right. right. So we both have equal rights and access to the property. 
and in an investment account, because that applies in this example as well. Yeah, and that's really all of this. It's referring mostly to either property or liquid investment accounts. So when you're talking about true joint tenancy, which is the first of three uh, joint tenancies, again, at death, the surviving owners take over the entire property or investment account. Yeah. So like before, before the, my portion of I died went into my estate and through probate in this example, it rolls over to Paul. That's right. I like that idea. That's good. So, and again, it, it would pass outside if you pass away outside of your estate. So it's going to happen almost immediately. Now there will be any unrealized gains for your portion will be reported on your tax return assuming it's a property or a non-registered investment account. By the way, when we talk about investment accounts, these are only non-registered investments accounts. You do not have any type of joint tenancy for registered RRSPs, RRIFs, TFSAs, and so forth. Not applicable whatsoever there. Now, one thing to point out for everyone. Now, in this example, me and you, if I die again, my portion of Kenny capital gains are taxed. Now... If you own it joint with a spouse, then the spousal rollover applies. Yes. So, so then it rolls over using the spousal rollover tax-free in your state. So, so that's really key that people should be aware of. That's correct. Now, if it's an investment account with true joint tenancy, which is what we're still referring to, when there's income, you want to be aware that CRA considers what they call the first generation of income to be taxed in the contributing, this is with a spouse, by the way, in the contributing spouse's name. So let's say uh, you and your future wife, you have an investment account, you saved all that money, and you decide to put it in true joint tenancy with your future lovely wife. The first generation of income, let's say it's $100,000. Let's say you were in 5% interest on that, or $5,000 in the first year, that will be taxed in your name. It will not be taxed jointly. But what they call the second generation of income, meaning if you take that $5,000 of interest that you earned during the first year and you reinvest it jointly, well, now the income from that can be taxed equally in the next generation. So it's a little complicated. By the way, CRA, I've never seen a situation where CRA looks at this very closely. Uh, but those are the rules. And by the way, you, want, you really want to be careful about this. There's an example, a legal example, where I believe it was a lady, a mother, she put a property, her principal rural residence, in true joint, they didn't document it properly, in joint ownership with her son. Her son was sued, and the amount in this example was $800,000, The mother ended up losing her home because creditors buy uh, from the son. So again, documentation is very, very key in doing this properly. Otherwise, you can end up with a very expensive wrong decision. So So that's that's the first type. That's true joint tenancies. It's really best if you have a spouse, husband, wife, owner, whatever. This is where you want to do this if you, for your spouse or your, you know, habitating place with someone else. So not an ideal situation to put true joint tenancy with your children. Doesn't work the best. 
Now, Paul, what about there's another version of joint tenancy called resulting uh, trust joint tenancy. Can you yes. go over that a little bit? So here's where you leave as a parent, uh, let's say an investment account to in joint names with your child. Now, the child didn't give you any consideration or any money for that. You just gave it to them. So here's what can happen if, if that is not documented properly. There is a, a case where a parent left or the parent wanted their entire estate to go to their daughter and their daughter's spouse at the time. The parent left an investment account with, uh, might have been a property or an investment account with the daughter, and but they documented that this property was to be left strictly to the daughter and it was documented. The parent died. The ex-husband wanted a piece of this property. And, but because it was documented that the parent wanted this to go only to their daughter and not to the daughter's ex, it, uh, there was not an issue. All of that money flowed to the daughter's ex. Again, documentation is the key on this. So again, that's called resulting trust joint tenancies. Okay, so next let's talk about joint tenancy with gift of right of survivorship. And depending on your circumstances, and there, there are some downsides that we'll go over, but depending on your circumstances, this can be best for assets held with adult children. Yes, and this can be either also with your principal residence. Now, the key here is that the parent adds the child on the investment account or the property as legal owner only. The child, the child takes no beneficial ownership. The parent keeps complete control of the asset, whether it be a piece of property or it be an investment account. Here's where this is most important for most people listening, I believe. If they want to use this for their principal residence, it does not create a problem with the principal residence exemption. But again, like we said before, documentation is key. By the way, the documentation to do this is very simple. It's basically a one-page document outlining what type of joint tenancy you want. So advantages here, there's no issue with loss of principal residence tax exemption. On the transfer, there is no deemed disposition, again, because the child has no beneficial use of the property or asset. Keep the It keeps the principal residence exemption. This is what the majority of people will want to do or should do with their joint assets because it still allows a transfer outside of the estate at death. Uh, and But again, avoid it does not create a problem with use or ownership or control during the life of the parents. Now that so that's, sounds all great, but what are, what are the problems of it? Well, potential problems really with any of the three types of joint tenancy, if they're not done properly or if they're not done appropriately, you can create unnecessary capital gains tax if you put your child in uh, using the principal residence, if it's not done properly. Well, you could lose your control. You know, could you imagine you own a piece of property and you put it in your child or children's name? You might have to go to them to get permission to sell it. Well, this is, you spent your whole life, you shouldn't have to go, in my opinion, to your children 
to get permission to sell it. And you know where this comes up a lot, Will, is when you're dealing with vacation properties. Let's say you put a, a cottage and you have three children. You put it jointly with the three children. Well, who pays the bills? Do you continue to pay the bills? Do you want the bills to be shared by the three client or three children? Oftentimes, one child has a better ability to pay than the other. Well, who gets to use it on the best long weekends in the summer? And what often comes up too, we've, we've heard of, is where one child and their family go to the place and their brother or sister had, hadn't left it that nicely cleaned. So these are the types of things. And also you can have spouses. The children's spouses may have a right to some of that asset. So you want to avoid these types of things. You want to make sure you deal with this properly and document it. And by the way, you know what? As we mentioned before, kids can get into trouble. Kids can get divorced. 40% of all marriages end up in divorces. It's a lot. They go bankrupt. They get sued. All sorts of nasty things are not unnormal. That's where key, you want to make sure that uh, it's done properly. Now, by the way, we've been talking about joint tenancy, but there's a simple remedy this that avoids all of these problems when we're speaking with an investment portfolio. And that is if you want to go to an insurance company, let's say you have a portfolio, you could have a GIC or an ETF or a mutual fund and you want to invest that. Well, if you invest that with a, with an insurance company, either on it. And by the way, when you invest with an insurance company, we're not talking about buying insurance. It's not insurance. It's strictly an investment product. So what happens because with an insurance company, you can name a beneficiary on the account itself. You can have, let's say, a joint investment account, leave your two or three children as beneficiaries. You keep complete ownership and control of that investment. The children cannot access that account. However, at your death, it flows immediately outside of your estate to the children in whatever portion you stated. There's no issues. You cannot be sued by the, one of the children's creditors. The children's um, spouses have no access to that. It's very clean. It's very simple. And there's no cost to do it, by the way. So that's just an option for people with an investment account. So good stuff, Paul. Let's wrap it up for today. Quick summary, Will. That there is three major types of joint tenancy. One is true joint tenancy, which is best for you and your spouse, resulting joint trust tenancy, which is something that uh, you want to make sure you document properly to avoid it being left to the wrong person. And joint tenancy with gift of right or survivorship. This is best when you want to leave money to your adult children or uh, property, principal residence. Again, the key to all of this is proper documentation, or you could run into some problems. You want to talk? I'll talk about the next podcast. Next podcast, it's RSP season. Hey, we're going to talk about RSPs, when they work, and when you shouldn't bother with them. So we're going to talk about that on the next podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone. Hope you liked today's episode. Uh, please rate and subscribe to us on your, your favorite platform. Talk to you next time, Paul. Cheers. Have a good day. 
This podcast was brought to you by West End Wealth Planning, an award-winning wealth planning practice catering to small and medium-sized business owners and to those looking to create a worry-free retirement for themselves and their families. To learn more, go to westendwealth.com. Don't forget to rate this podcast and subscribe to Retirement Straight Talk with Paul and William by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.